Welcome to the Erickson Covenant Church Podcast. We're happy that you would join us for today's teaching. As a church, we're passionate about helping people find and follow Jesus, no matter who they are or where they are from. If you have any questions about Jesus, the church, or the teaching you're hearing today, please don't hesitate to contact us online at ericksoncovenant.ca. And now, let's listen to this week's teaching. Well, do you remember where you were on the day that uh, World War II ended? Anyone? No, I know some of you were around. Oh, let's back it up. Maybe. How about um, when when uh, Kennedy was shot? Anyone? Remember where you were? How about when Neil Armstrong walked on the moon? Anyone? Okay, we've got to bring it a little closer, right? How about when the Berlin Wall came down? How many of you remember where you were when you were watching the footage of people tearing apart the wall, the Berlin Wall? How many of you remember when you watched the Twin Towers fall? Yeah. These kind of events have, uh, they, they have a way of searing themselves into our collective memory so that we can kind of recall, you know, exactly where we were when that happened. Sometimes the oddest details that had gone, you know, maybe what we were wearing that day or, or where we were, the way it smelled or, you know, these things can be cemented into our minds. First events are very powerful. I can point you to the very spot where I met Tanil. She can too. She didn't like me much, but she can still point to the spot. <clears throat> I can tell you where we were when we first found out we were pregnant after trying for a long time. Yeah, I, I too can tell you exactly where we were when we saw the footage of the Twin Towers in that tragic morning 9-11. First, events have a way of cementing themselves into our memory, shaping the very world around us, and then our life that follows. And today, we're looking at one of the greatest first events in the history of the world, in the history of the church of Jesus Christ, the day when the Holy Spirit came to live in people. It's a very significant first event. We're talking today about the day of Pentecost. Now, we're three weeks into a new series in the book of Acts where we're exploring the early days of the church. We've spent two weeks setting it up, and if you've missed some of that setup, it's pretty important if you have an opportunity to go back and listen online, ericksoncovenant.ca, or through iTunes, you can hear it there. We've been setting up. But for those of you who've caught it, do you remember what Acts 1 was all about? Anyone? Jesus makes a promise. Remember that? He made a promise that the Holy Spirit was going to come upon these first followers of His, going to come upon them in power, and then as a result, they would be His witnesses right from where they received the Holy Spirit and to the very ends of the earth. And the whole of Acts, everything that follows, is a fulfillment of that promise that Jesus gave. And today we see the promise come true. The Holy Spirit comes as Jesus promised, and His coming changes everything that follows. Now, do you remember why we're listening to Acts this year? Normally, in the start of each year, I take a few Sundays and talk about who we are as a church. What are we all about? How can we focus? Instead of just taking a few, what we're going to do is we're going to walk through the story of Acts and let Jesus together renew our vision for us as a church. Who we are. 
why we gather, what we are all about as the Erickson Covenant Church. Now, I was very encouraged by what I learned this week, and I'm excited to share it with you. Because you see, I'm not just working through these messages because, frankly, you're all coming here Sunday morning and I better have something to say. That's not the only reason, at least. Uh, I'm actually really wanting to hear this story and let the Holy Spirit reshape and reform and renew my vision for us as a church, for why we are who we are. And so I'm trying to learn and listen and pray and receive what the Holy Spirit is saying for our sake, for my sake. To be very honest with you, one of the tensions that I struggle with constantly as a pastor is where to place my emphasis. Like, what should I be focusing on? Should I spend all of my time or the bulk of my time focusing on our gatherings, like when we meet, whether we meet here, whether we meet in small groups, whether we, but should I really be focusing on, on our gatherings? Or rather, should I be putting most of my energy into witness out there, getting involved in the community, trying to connect with people, trying to help us be witnesses out in the world? Now, I think the gathering for worship and prayer is significant for teaching. I think it's essential to our growth and witness. But I also know at the end of the day, we don't exist for ourselves. We exist for everyone else. See what I mean? So as a pastor then, I'm paid by you. Do you know that you're my bosses? Well, if you give, you are anyway. Well, that wasn't in my notes. Sorry. I mean, you pay me to work on your behalf. And so, should my focus be on our times together, or should my focus be on our activity beyond the walls of the church? And, and not just me, but as a church, should we be focusing our energy and our resources on getting people in here or getting you out there? You know, you hear the, you hear the tension there? That's certainly something I feel most weeks, trying to balance or trying to figure out how does our life together fit into also our witness beyond. And so with that in mind, today's story of the first fulfillment of the Holy Spirit, of this promise that Jesus gave, spoke very powerfully to me. Because through this story, I received direction, I received encouragement and challenge for my task as your pastor, but I really believe that all of us together will receive something very specific for our task as the church. Let's pray. Jesus, you gave a promise that your Holy Spirit would come. And now today we we see the story of how your spirit came and, and what your spirit did. Ask, Lord Jesus, that you would lead us today to see and to hear and respond to all that you are doing by your spirit among us now. Amen. Let me read Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 13 to you, and I'll uh, you make a few comments as we go along, but then I'll pull it together. Here it is. When the day of Pentecost came... That's just 50 days after Passover, another big uh, calendar event for the Jewish people. It's a harvest festival. I'll say more about that in a moment. But when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And who's the they? It's the they we've been looking at all through Acts chapter 1. This collection of about 120 first followers of Jesus, which includes the big 12, and the newly added 12th, Matthias, but also includes Mary, the mother of Jesus, includes the women who supported the ministry of Jesus, includes probably their extended folks, includes the very blood family of, of Jesus. They're all together. There's about 120 of them, we discover. They're all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. 
They saw what seemed to be like tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. Are you getting the picture? Imagine how disruptive that was. Imagine how powerful that was. Hear the sound. You just, 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 you know, a sound like a violent wind from heaven. What does that sound like? Or to look around and see fire. And then to hear people, well, to you speaking gibberish. Maybe. Well, that's what's happening. Now, there were in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Why were they there? They're there for Pentecost. They're there for this harvest festival. They've come back. They're devout. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Which is, I'm going to translate for you. Aren't all these redneck northern Albertans? that's me so you know but Galileans were from the north and they were hicks and they were like okay now in their day and age those guys only speak a couple languages you know they all spoke a few languages but but uh, they were astonished because the people speaking this language shouldn't have been able to speak certainly not their native language because they'd come from a long ways away well this is how it keeps going aren't all those who are speaking Galileans then how is it that each of us hears them in our native tongue. Parthians. And then we hear a list of some, at least, where these people are. Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya, near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans, and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. The first coming of the Holy Spirit gives shape to the church's worship and witness. And everything that comes after that flows from Pentecost. Let's tease out a few things to help us see this more clearly. First, the coming of the Holy Spirit was undeniable to those who received the Spirit. Luke makes this very clear. He describes the event very vividly, doesn't he? A violent wind from heaven. Tongues of fire that separated. People speaking all these different kinds of languages. This was hard to miss. You know? Like, he couldn't be present and not know that something definitive has happened. Somebody new is present. Jesus knew that this first coming needed to be undeniable, a powerful, unmistakable God showing up that fundamentally changes everyone who's present. Because, you see, prior to this, the Holy Spirit would kind of come and go as he wanted to. He would show up, he would empower someone for a job. He would maybe empower a prophet to speak the word of God to his people, or he'd maybe show up and empower a judge for a season, or he would anoint a king, and there would be a coming and going of the Holy Spirit, but he never came and stayed. And he certainly didn't show up and live in normal people. 
It seemed to be only those who had special tasks or special jobs to do. That is, until today. The Holy Spirit shows up, and on this day of Pentecost, the Spirit of God comes to live in the people of God. And the day that Jesus chose was significant. This day of Pentecost, I've already mentioned, was an agricultural festival, and it happened 50 days after Passover. Passover, of course, marked the event when God rescued his people out of Egypt. And there was a sacrificial lamb that pointed to Jesus. Well, on Pentecost, farmers would then offer a first sampling of their harvest to God. And this first sampling was a way of saying, God, it's yours. We owe it to you. And so they offer a first sample as a, as a way of being grateful. But it also was a way of saying, God, would you please bless the rest of the harvest that is yet to come in? Well, Just like Jesus fulfilled the meaning of Passover by dying on the same weekend as our sacrificial lamb, taking away the sins of the world, now Jesus fulfills the very meaning of Pentecost by sending the Holy Spirit to live in us. The Holy Spirit is called, especially by the Apostle Paul, he himself is called a kind of first fruit that's given to us as a deposit, guaranteeing the rest that's to come. And so when we receive the Holy Spirit... It's like a little bit of God is put inside of us. A little bit of heaven is planted here on earth. But it's as as it were a down payment, a first fruit of what's to come. The fullness of what's to come. But also very significantly, this first fruit on Pentecost is also the people themselves in whom the Spirit has come to live. The people themselves are a kind of first fruit that Jesus is offering back to his Father. And it's as though Jesus is saying, this is only 120. This is the first fruit for the millions and millions and millions who will follow. Isn't that great? A little sampling of what's to come because the Holy Spirit has come. So Pentecost forever marks the coming of God to dwell in and with human beings in a way that we'd only seen in the life of Jesus, but we'd never seen it spread. We'd never seen it expanded and so inclusive. It's an undeniable event. It shapes everything that follows, including the times the Holy Spirit continues to fill and refill and renew and send the church into the future. But notice this also. This first coming of the Spirit also grabbed the attention of outsiders who didn't initially receive the Holy Spirit, but were within earshot of those who did. Very provocative. See, the outsiders were all Jews. They were all devout. They were all part of the story. They were all in Jerusalem because they want to celebrate this festival to give thanks to God and ask Him to bless their continued efforts. And they don't know exactly how it all happened. We don't even know how the story unfolded. But it didn't take long for crowds to form because there's something going on. All over the world, these people had come. And now, here, of all places, they're hearing the language they grew up speaking. Here, they don't know what's happening. They can't understand it. They can't put it together. They're baffled by what they're hearing. But they can't deny that something fantastic is happening. And they come in close. And what they hear is God being worshipped, but in a language that only they can understand. Now, they are totally amazed. They start asking questions like, how can this be? What is going on? 
What does this mean? And then, as always, there's someone who's going to reach for the easy reason and say, well, it must be because they're drunk. But in my experience, people drunk don't get easier to understand. So they're reaching. Now, it was in an attempt to make sense of what had happened that Peter then stands up and points everyone to Jesus. That's what happens next week. We're not looking at that today. But this is what provoked that response. But for now, simply see this. The coming of the Holy Spirit was undeniable to insiders and very provocative to outsiders. So let's ask our key interpretive question. The question that we're going to keep coming back to over and over again as we're learning from this story. How did the Holy Spirit fulfill Jesus' promise that day? How did he fulfill the promise that he'd just given days before? The Spirit comes and fills them up with himself in a way that inspires worship, which results in witness. That's what we're going to unpack. It's so important to see. The coming of the Holy Spirit into this gathered church with wind and fire and, and tongues was in direct fulfillment to Jesus' promise, but in a way that was entirely unexpected, entirely unique. Jesus said they would receive power when the Holy Spirit came on them, and, and, and what, what obviously happened was a very powerful event. The violent wind, the fire. I mean, wind and fire, both symbols of the Holy Spirit, both symbols of a God encounter. If you read the whole story uh, as it unfolds in the Old Testament, both symbols that there's something significant going on. And then on top of it, that they're praising God in languages that they'd never learned. This is so far beyond their experience and expectation. It's God's power falling on his people. And so right there, right in the first few years, as you can say, promise fulfilled. The promise Jesus gave has been fulfilled. The Holy Spirit has come in power. But the second part of that promise, the promise that those who receive the power of the Holy Spirit would be his witnesses, that's also immediately fulfilled. It's so interesting how. Without any design or effort or intention, This spirit-filled church became witnesses through their worship. People outside received witness, received glory, heard about the wonders of God as the church simply gave praise to God, albeit in languages they didn't understand. These people just cut loose in praise. I don't know how aware they even were of what was happening. They were just worshiping God. And people overheard God's praises in their own language. The Holy Spirit fulfills the promise by producing twin effects, worship of the Father and the Son, and witness to the world. Let's talk a little bit about the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit inspires us to worship the Father and the Son. You see, okay, I'm going to talk about pretty theological things here today, okay? Um, And I think it's important that we hear it, but I want to recognize that some of us, we're still exploring faith, and you might hear me use, well, I'm going to try not to use too many big words, but I'm, I'm going to use some language that might be new, and I'm just asking you to travel with me on this because I think it's really important. You see, the Holy Spirit, who is one with the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit always leads the church to give praise and worship to the Father and the Son. And when the Spirit fills people, praising God is the immediate and direct result. Now, this is supported all through the New Testament. But let me just remind you of Romans 8, 
where we're told that it's the Holy Spirit who comes in us and, and enables us to be adopted into God's family, but also reassures us that we are God's kids. And one of the ways he does that is he enables us to speak to the Father exactly how Jesus spoke to the Father. We're able to say, Abba, Father. We're able to speak to the Father as our Father because of how the Holy Spirit works and comes to dwell in our lives. The Apostle Paul also said in another letter that even declaring Jesus is Lord, Jesus is leader, Jesus is the King, even doing that is evidence that the Holy Spirit is present. And so one of the defining marks of the Holy Spirit in the church is the worship of the church. And why is that? Because the Holy Spirit comes to take up residence in the church, in the corporate body in the gathered community of Christ. And then by extension, the Holy Spirit comes to live in us individually. But the order is corporate to individual, not the other way around. At least as the Scripture teaches it. We can unpack that another day. And when He does that, the Holy Spirit fills us with His heart, with His mind, with His passions, with His desires. And what is at the very center of the Holy Spirit's passion and desires. It's the love for the Father. The love for the Son. The Spirit's passion for their beauty and their goodness and their holiness and their kindness, their wonder, their grace. Because we have to remember who it is we're dealing with. The Holy Spirit, the third person in the tri-personal God. He brings into us the divine community of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Three persons who have lived in perfect communion as one God for eternity past have lived in this life of self-giving, love and care and grace. This community of love Holy Spirit has brought into our lives. And I know I'm talking sort of high theology here, but it's important that we get this at least partially. Because when the Holy Spirit comes into us, into the church, into the gathered community of Christ, we, the church, are brought into union with the Father and with the Son. We now have a share in the divine life, in this eternal relationship. We're now part of it. This never-ceasing love, this ever-wondering beauty. But what's more... And I think just blows all of our circuits, or at least mine, is that it's not just that the Holy Spirit comes to live in us, but that the Holy Spirit actually brings us into the life of God. And I know we can't fully understand this. I know we can't fully grasp what this means. There is mystery here. There's so much more we can learn and experience about who God is. But just because we can't fully understand it doesn't mean we can't fully embrace it. Doesn't mean we can't live in it, celebrate it, rejoice it, love from it. It's the very presence of God's own life that the Holy Spirit brings into us and draws us up into the life of God. It's all of this going on that inspires the worship of the church. This is why immediately upon the entrance of the Holy Spirit, the church raises their voices to declare the wonder and the beauty and the grace of God. We join with the Spirit in exalting who God is, the wonderful, powerful name of Jesus, the eternal love of the Father who never gives up, who always chases after the lost to bring them home. Well, 
The Holy Spirit does that whenever He shows up. He grows us in our understanding and our experience of the Father, of the Son. So that as we grow in our understanding of God, we do grow in our love for Him, in our praise and our worship of Him. Whether that be in a language you understand or, frankly, a language you don't. The Holy Spirit can do that kind of thing. That's why the church fathers and mothers always remind us that good theology, good thinking about God, leads to God's doxology. Doxology just means worship. So good theology always leads to God's doxology. And if there's a problem... If your theology doesn't, if your understanding of God doesn't lead you to more deeply and more fully worship God, then guess what? There's something wrong with your theology. There's something wrong with how you're thinking about God. Because true, good theology, understanding who the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is, and what they have done, and what they are all about, will lead us to give praise to God. The Spirit creates a church that worships the moment He arrives. It's what he does. But, as we can see, it's not all the Spirit does. The Spirit also empowers witness. He can't help himself. It's as the gathered, Spirit-filled church is praising the Father that the promise of witness is also being fulfilled. Now, it's so interesting to me because this very first time that the promise of witness is fulfilled, it's fulfilled Indirectly. It's a byproduct of worship. This church wasn't trying to be heard by people out on the street, you know? It wasn't part of their strategy. It wasn't like a marketing campaign or something they decided. I'm not against those things. I'm just saying this isn't what they were doing on that day. They were just worshiping. And people overhear the worship to the Father in a way that they could never have expected to hear it in their own language. The Holy Spirit does something in the church that day that causes outsiders to sit up in shock, to walk forward, to lean in, to try to figure out what is going on as well as perhaps offer some mocking judgments as to why. The promise of witness, as it's first fulfilled, is fulfilled as an overflow of worship. This is so important for us to grasp because not only does it teach us crucially important truth about the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit is all about, but it shapes our understanding of our life and our mission together as a church. What we see here in this opening fulfillment is that the Spirit's love for the Father, which gives, inspires worship, is completely bound up with the Father's love for the world. This triune community of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who's included us in His life is always wanting to include more. So what the Holy Spirit does here is inspires worship of God that inherently provokes the wonder of others. I find that terribly interesting, don't you? That He inspires the worship of God which provokes the wonder of others. I think there's another slide. Next slide, maybe. There it is. Inspires the worship of God, which provokes the wonder. Well, how does that help us? I think this helps us more properly understand how our worship as the church and our witness as the church is bound together by the Holy Spirit. Because this, whenever we, as the church, this will be people who you know, identify with the church. You may be a, a guest today and you're just exploring. You're saying, do not include me in that. I understand. But for those of us who would say, the church, yep, I'm, I'm, I'm with the church. Whenever the church begins to think that our gathering for worship is really just about us, 
then the Holy Spirit swoops in and shows us how our worship is always about God. And God is always about the outsider. That's what happens. Whenever we begin to think, this is really about us. I read a quote this morning on Facebook. Somebody said, Pastor, I didn't like the worship today. And the answer is, good thing it wasn't about you then. Right? Whenever we think that the church is about us, that this is about us, the Holy Spirit swoops in and reminds us that worship is always about God and God is always about the outsider, about the lost. When we gather to fully worship the Father and the Son by the Holy Spirit, witness does result. Now, in the first story, that's the point of the different languages. Precisely, (laughs) I love it, the worshipers didn't necessarily understand what was happening Clearly, this worship had an orientation toward the outsiders. I mean, that at the very least is true. It's clearly for the sake of them. God literally translates their worship so that people who aren't in the mix understand something of what's going on. Not fully. They need to be interpreted. But enough that they sit up and pay attention and say, tell me more. The Spirit designs the worship to provoke interest. And everything else after that flows from this initial event. But the reverse is also true. Whenever the church, the people of the church, begin to think that gathering as the body to worship the Father and the Son by the Holy Spirit isn't what really matters. That meeting as Christians to praise God is a nice but optional exercise for Christians because really, do we really have to go to church to be Christians? Of course you don't. Do you really have to do these kinds of things? No. Well, maybe... There's something we've been missing. The Holy Spirit pulls us back out of the trenches, pulls us back together, and reminds us of who we are as the body of Christ, as the temple of the Holy Spirit, how we have been included in the life of God. And as a body, as a group, we declare the praises of Him who's rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of His Son. There's something special something significant that occurs when we offer praise to God, something that only happens when we gather as a community. The Holy Spirit knows that we actually cannot sustain vibrant witness to Christ out there if we're not sharing in worship together here. This is critical because corporate worship, the worship of the gathered community, we've been united with the Father and the Son through the Spirit This is the literal headwaters, the the fountain, the the epicenter from which all witness emanates. It's only as we're drawn again and again more deeply into the life of God Himself that we then are truly sent into His mission. Worship is like the source of our witness. Without worship, witness wanes. And I see this happen again and again and again. People who drop off the gathered worship end up dropping off in their witness. I'm not saying that happens every time, but it happens an awful lot. But it's also true that without witness, worship wanders. Worship becomes about us. Worship becomes just something we look internally and think it's, it's really about serving me. And friends, that's not what the church is about either. We forget who it is we're in relationship with, who has rescued us and his heart for the world. Well, I should wrap this up. A worshiping church is a witnessing church. And a witnessing church, a worshiping one. 
And if the scattered church, if us going out into our community, if we're not witnessing to Jesus out there, it's very likely that we're not really worshiping Him in here either. They go together. So how is the Holy Spirit fulfilling this promise in us now? I think, I believe, that it's as we allow the Holy Spirit to fill us, to draw us into His love for the Father and the Son, that we will then experience the kind of vibrant witness the Holy Spirit has also promised He would fulfill in us. And friends, I think this powerfully renews our vision as a church. As the Erickson Covenant Church, we've been called to worship. That by the Holy Spirit who fills us, we've been drawn into this life of the Father and the Son and we can grow over and over again in our appreciation, our love, our praise, our participation in the life of God. Always aware that worship's not about us and yet somehow fundamentally does something in us. We're fully included in what God is doing both in us and in the world. I want to take five minutes for your questions. Now, I just jumped that on you, I realize. But are there any questions that, that come out for you? I'll repeat them for the podcast. But are there any questions that are in your mind, either to understand what's going on here, or particularly its application to us as a church as we think about our call to worship the Father and our call to witness to the world? Any questions that come up for you? Thanks for that, Esther. So, You're saying you met people that, you know, going to church, which I think you all know how much I hate that phrase, right? And I know we struggle in our language. Like this week, for example, I'm just going to sidetrack for a moment. But this week, I wanted to always say to people, we're not putting a roof on the church. They all have roofs. Most of them, I think, have roofs. We're putting a very important roof on our church's building, though. Right? And so there's this going to church business. What what I want to help all of us reframe in our minds is we gather as the church and the Holy Spirit among us inspires us to worship and that does something in us and through us. And so I think there are, obviously we know, lots of people think that whole gathering thing is optional and some people have been hurt and I get that. I really do respect that, get that. But to, to begin to have our vision renewed by the Holy Spirit that He wants to do something in us, but through us. And there's something about gathering to worship and let the Spirit in and through that is, you know, in this early community, the Holy Spirit would not have come if they had not gathered. Is that too bold to say? It was upon the gathered community. Maybe I'll just state it that way. It was upon the gathered community the Holy Spirit came. And that's significant. And so to let the Holy Spirit reshape us that, but not fall into that ugly sort of, you should be coming to church. I didn't see you in church this week. What are you talking about? We are the church. But somehow gathering together is a significant way the Holy Spirit grows us and sends us. Other, any other questions or comments? Oh, Mike. Okay, so first question is, when we meet as a ministerial... Do we focus on our differences or do we focus on what we have in common? Do you want me to answer that one first? So we, we focus, we, we pretty much fight the whole time on the ways we're different. <laughs> yeah, we obviously focus on what we have in common. And, and when you get the broadest possible group, um, the, those things become basically Jesus. 
<laughs> and wanting people to experience the love of God here in the valley. And that is what we focus on. We have a lot of differences in our ministerial. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So you're asking a question of whether we could? Is that what you're asking? Okay. So what Mike's asking is uh, the idea of, of, of joining together in some like larger setting to really focus on what we hold in common. And that has been done in this valley. Um, I'll be frank with you. Right now, there's some challenges on that front. Because um, when you move past basic service, when you move back past helping people in their concrete physical needs, when you start to talk about worshiping, when you start to talk about evangelism, things that we hold near and dear, um, some of those differences do create challenges. I'll be honest with you about that. And so uh, I would say we are currently, uh, those churches that are part of the ministerial association, we are part of it, we're really, we're really seeking God on that. We're trying to figure out, like, how do we uh, support one another while at the same time acknowledging that, like, we actually do have differences. It's not as though we don't. We do. How do we support one another, pray for one another, have good relationships with each other, but also acknowledge that there are some things that we really have quite strong differences of, of opinion on. Not that that makes us not a brother or a sister, but it does, it does remind us that there are challenges. And so we're actively trying to figure that out, Mike. That's the truth of it. Uh, our current ministry association has a very good, um, uh, uh, there's a very good spirit of it in the place, and we, we are, are, are praying together, and we're, supporting one another, but we're trying to figure out what that means for the larger valley. And a couple of the key events is ministerial, like like the Hamper program, for example, is a way that we as ministerial churches, but also um, the larger community of Creston, do pull together to, I believe, show the love of Christ to people who are in real specific need. Even if not everyone involved is a follower of Jesus, it's a beautiful way of, of saying, God loves you, and Christmas is all about that, but here's also a very specific way we we serve you in that. Thanks, Mike. Any other questions? Yeah, Carl. Thanks, Carl. So you asked if there's ever a, a way that us Christian infidels, so that's how we're viewed, right? Could bridge the gap with Muslims. That's your question? I guess it would mean, it kind of depend on what you meant by bridging the gap. Um, so here's what I here's what I think. I know that the Holy Spirit is very actively working in the Muslim world. Throughout, um, I borrowed a book off Mark Bone, which really helped me understand this, but um, you could divide the world up into quite a number of different types of Islam, you could say. And they call them houses. And uh, it's very clear that in, in quite a number of those houses of Islam, uh, which have some really unique flavors, the Holy Spirit is actively at work. And, and many, many, many Muslims are coming to know Jesus as the Messiah. And so... There's wonderful work happening. The, the church in Iran is growing, and there's just really, really cool stuff happening there. And so, in that sense, the, the, the bridge, is being ga- uh, bridge is being gapped. The gap is being bridged by the Holy Spirit, but not in the sense, I mean, these are people who are coming to faith in Jesus, right? More practically speaking, though, we need to be people who bridge the gap by entering into relationship with others, with Others, period. But now, now in our community, there aren't too many people uh, of, of Muslim background, though there are a few. Uh, in our larger cities, of course, there are many more. 
And, and so we're invited to bridge those gaps. That's the call of Jesus, that we would enter into true friendship with people um, who, who believe differently than us in, in a whole variety of ways, but specifically now uh, Muslim friends. I've got to tell you, I've told you this before, Muslim people are wonderful, and I, um, some of my deepest friendships are with, with either Muslims or people from a Muslim background. And uh, I think there's just wonderful ways one thing I love about having uh, one of my Pakistani friends, I, I just love it because there's no barrier between sort of religion and, you know, like you just talk about God because God's part of life. So we have these great talks about Jesus and, and we can really live into that. The problem, and I've talked about this before, is as a church, unfortunately, because of either a certain messaging we've bought into, we've become afraid of Muslims and we've allowed fear to dictate how we feel about Muslims or about Islam. And, uh, and unfortunately, that's just completely counter to the messaging we received from Scripture. The messaging in Scripture, the, the messaging of the Holy Spirit, is to fill us with power by the Holy Spirit. And there's a fearlessness that comes with that, that we don't buy into messaging that says we should be afraid of a certain people group because of whatever. No, no. We enter into that friendship with openness, without fear. Because the Holy Spirit has sent us to bear witness to Jesus in our life, in our words, and see, just see how the Holy Spirit uses that. It's wonderful to see. So whenever you feel fear, know that that's not from God. <laughs> and ask the Holy Spirit to fill you with, with, with courage, especially as it comes to bridging a gap to enter into someone's life. So that's how I think it'll be bridged, Carl. Yeah. Cheryl. Great. So the question is, since the Holy Spirit and worship are so uh, bound up, like so together, um, and then your question is, to just what is worship? Okay. So in a very, uh, I'm going to give you quite a theological definition and then try to unpack that. I think worship is the Holy Spirit bringing us up to participate in the life of the Father and the Son. That's a very theological, very Trinitarian definition. But I actually think it's important that the word participate is in there. Because worship isn't something that we just do. Worship is something that we're brought into. And so sometimes we think of worship as only like this, which I think is part of it. But when we break that apart or we tease it apart, we see that worship is actually where we are brought into a relationship of shared love and communion with the Father and the Son by the Holy Spirit. And we're able to give and receive freely. And of course, as creatures, we mostly receive. But in a beautiful way, the Holy Spirit also invites us to fully give and honors our gift. That's what I love about our, our even our flailing and failing efforts to, 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 to worship and to try and to give of ourselves. It's not like God says, well, that sucked. Could you get a little better? You know, it's not like that. The Holy Spirit is so excited about as we begin to experience the goodness of God, as we begin to voice that, as we begin to just give uh, and experience a sense of his, his life in us, and we're, we're giving voice to that, because I think there is, yes, but what worship, there is something significant about us giving voice to that as a community, whether that's verbal voice, whether that's singing, whether that's, you know, in some sort of uh, artistic expression, but where we actually, we, you know, the Bible talks over and over again about we declare the praises. There's something that we can't hold back as the Holy Spirit is bringing us into this shared life with the Father and the Son. But what's so important is to remember that we're never first. 
So the other thing about that definition that I find very helpful is that Jesus is the one who offers right worship to the Father, right relationship to the Father. And so when we come into the mix by the Holy Spirit, when He draws us in, we're not standing at the head of the line. We get beside Jesus. And then, in a sense, what we're saying in worship is we're just saying to the Father what, what He says. <laughs> like, I want to just, can I just sing a duet with Jesus? That's what we're doing. Because Jesus is giving right worship, proper response. He's speaking the truth about who God is, the truth about who we are. He's interceding on our behalf. But He's also, by the Holy Spirit He's giving us, drawing us into that worship. But He's always first order. So we're always saying, Amen, to what Jesus said. When we gather to give praise and worship, there's a very real sense we gather to say, Yes, Father, we just want to echo what Jesus has already said and done. We just want to say that we agree with that God. We don't fully understand everything that's going on, but we want to say whatever Jesus said, that's what we want to say. And so, and the Father loves that. He loves seeing us included and offering our our our, our bits and our pieces and our mistakes and our, our trials and, and yet also growing in our understanding of who He is and offering our everything we have and our energy and our excellence as well as our frailty. He loves that. And and we find that as we do that, we're we're more and more caught up with this participation of this relationship between the Father and the Son by the Holy Spirit. Worship is participation in the life of the Father and the Son by the Holy Spirit. Something that we offer not because we have it, but because Jesus does and He's included us in the mix. Isn't that beautiful? It's beautiful. And as we do that, what we discover is that the Holy Spirit births in us the heart of the Father and the Son for the world. He holds it together. And here in this opening story, we're reminded, kind of like, it's just in a few verses, but we're, we're given something so significant right here at the start that's going to carry us through. There'll be times when we see the church scattered out in a place where there's no other Christians and they're giving witness to Jesus. We'll see that. We'll also see them gather and experience the infilling of the Holy Spirit who shakes the place out and sends them out boldly again. We're going to see all of that, but it all flows from this. The Holy Spirit comes to live in us, births in us a worship of the Father and the Son by the Holy Spirit, and through that, sends us out in witness. And friends, I hope and pray that that can renew our vision. No, no. Can renew in us the vision of Christ for us, who's given us the Holy Spirit (laughs) and wants to see others included in that. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you made good on your promise on that Pentecost day, 2,000 years ago. What you said happened. No one could deny it. And we're going to see the ripple effects of this in the story of Acts, but we see the ripple effects now. The fact that we are sitting here today worshiping you, sharing your love with others, you continue to fulfill this promise in us, Jesus, because you are faithful. You make good in your word. You do it every day. I pray that you would just continue to do it in us. We yield ourselves to you. Those of us who follow you, Lord Jesus, would we stand and be ready to receive all that you have for us. 
with those of us who are exploring faith, who are trying to discover who you are. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would, you would enable them to understand what it is that you're all about. That really, you're all about them. Lord Jesus, as we gather as a church next week and throughout the week, and when we gather even in, in smaller groups or as friends, would you inspire us by your Holy Spirit? Would you fill us by your Holy Spirit with your love for the Father and inspire us to worship you? When we gather, Holy Spirit, would you, would you create in us an expectancy for what you long to do in us? But then would you also do something in us that only you can do which will bubble out, will overflow like water over a dike or water over a dam or water over its banks. Overflow into this valley so that your love will be shared and felt. So that the world around us, so that friends and family and neighbors will sit up and say, what does this mean? And then we will have an opportunity to simply point people to you. Jesus, this is what you want to do in us and we yield ourselves to you. We pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, go in grace today. May these words resonate in your heart and mind as you go. Let's have coffee. Thank you for listening. We hope today's teaching provided you with life-changing truth and valuable insight. We hope you've learned of some practical steps forward in your spiritual journey. Whether you're finding Jesus for the first time, or you have been following him for years. If you have been listening for a while, perhaps you're wondering how you can support the church financially. To find out, please go to ericksoncovenant.ca and click on the Donate tab. Thank you for being part of this journey with us. Every day we are seeking to help people to find and follow Jesus.